location, exotic Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. The players, all-star teams from seasons of road rules and the real world. The game. After each competition, the highest-ranking teams must eliminate one of their own until only three teams from each show remain standing. The motivation? To make it in the final six and compete for a grand prize of $300,000. This is the battle of the seasons. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things MTV's The Challenge, past, present, or future if it's happening in the Challenge universe. And we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very much for being here with us today. On today's podcast, we continue the 2022 Challenge Series rewatch by diving into the fifth season of this iconic Challenge franchise. That would be the Battle of the Seasons, a real game changer of a season for the Challenge with so much to get to, which we will do very, very quickly. But first, a couple programming notes. First one, the Rewatch series will be back next week with two more seasons instead of just one, both Season 6, Battle of the Sexes, and Season 7, The Gauntlet, possibly my favorite season of all time, will be next week. And then following that, we will do another two seasons the following week, which will be 8 and 9, if I can count. And then that will lead right into the last week of April, first week of May, where we will finish off with Season 10 and then take a brief pause on the rewatch for a couple of weeks so that we can dive into our All-Stars 3 preview and start recapping the All-Stars 3 show when it debuts on Paramount Plus on May 11th. So this will be the last week where we only got one podcast from now on for the next few weeks, if not a very, very long time. There will be two podcasts a week. The next few weeks, we will get through two seasons of the rewatch series leading up to capping off the first 10 seasons, going into All-Stars 3, and then in June, we will bring back the rewatch series starting with season 11 and do one a week the entire rest of the year to finish out the entire series to date, all while recapping All-Stars 3, the CBS channel. Challenge and hopefully and eventually season 38 of the MTV version of the show all at the same time. So that is that second and final programming note then is that I had the absolute honor of recording a podcast with the wonderful folks over at the Challenge Fandom a few nights ago where we broke down the topic of the evening was the greatest single season ever played in Challenge history, the most dominant season of all time. We debated it. We went through, I believe I ended up with a list of 38 different possible answers to that question. So if you don't already follow or listen to the challenge fandom i highly encourage you to do so they've got some of in my opinion the best cast member interviews of any challenge greats legends cast members that you'll find anywhere out there and they also put out a whole bunch of other great content on the podcast on their instagram page in their facebook community which is one of the only reasons i'm even consider getting back on facebook is so i could be in the challenge fandom facebook community so a whole bunch of great stuff give them a follow if you don't already and keep an eye out over the next few weeks or month 
Whenever that episode drops, I will be on there. I will be, of course, sharing that on the Challenge Historian Instagram page as well. But you'll definitely want to give it a listen. And at some point when it does drop, I will maybe put out on the Instagram page my full long list in some sort of ranked order of what I believe to be the greatest single seasons of all time. All right. Without further ado, let's then take our minds all the way back to the warm beaches of Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, way, way back 20 years ago right now. We're in the midst of the 20-year anniversary of one of the great challenge seasons. It's time to dive on in and discuss Season 5, The Battle of the Seasons. Kicking it off with the state of the challenge at this time. So again, as we just said, 20 years ago right now, this season was airing. The challenge was entering its fifth ever season, and this was a real turning point. We will in a moment get to the evolutions of the challenge that happened within this show, but really season two, five, and seven stand out in a big way as turning points in the history of the show. So heading into the fifth season, it was the production for one was finding its true timeline of one a year. They aired January to May. This was the third straight season of that format. They had really kind of honed in on, yes, we are doing this every single year and we're going to do it on this timetable and we're just going to run them right off like a conveyor belt. We're going to keep pumping them out. So that was happening. The real world at the time was an absolute monster about to go on truly an epic run of in 2002 real world Chicago debuted followed quickly by Las Vegas and Paris a a run of three seasons that I don't know that if any reality show out there can match uh, what went down on those three iconic seasons of the real world. So the real world was at a true hit in its apex, hit in its stride was, you know, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things on television, not just the biggest thing in reality television. Road Rules, on the other hand, while it was about on the verge of its greatest cast and possibly season ever with Campus Crawl, maybe the best cast in the history of either Road Rules or uh, Real World show, That debuted this year, but there was only three more seasons of Road Rules left. It was kind of clearly on its last legs at this point, and it seemed like this was the season of both Road Rules and The Challenge, where from, you know, without having inside info from the outside, it seems as if this was about the time when something clicked in the production side, and they decided this new thing, The Challenge, that is our game show, that is our, you know, competition style show that's the thing we're going to focus on and maybe some of the resources from road rules started getting moved over and much more focus put on the challenge itself and the final thing kind of entering this season the state of the challenge was the the, there was obviously a confidence in a very long run for this show beyond just the previous few seasons once they did two three four they obviously had confidence that it was going to happen more than once they were setting themselves up to do multiple seasons but at this point they seem to be reaching where we're not just doing a couple more seasons of the show this show is now a staple this is what mtv is about this thing's going to run forever it should kind of still obviously is but they're figuring out how to make it not only the best version of itself but the most replicable version of itself the way to keep it fresh across seasons knowing that they were going to run dozens of seasons of this thing as long as they could make it last and that leads us right into the evolutions that this season took place so 
let's before we jump into you know what changed, what evolved within the game and the show this season, a couple quick basic stats. As we mentioned multiple times already, we're back in 2002. This season, the Battle of the Seasons, fifth season aired January to May 2002. It was located in one single location, Cabo, San Lucas, Mexico, one of the all-time GOAT challenge locations. It was hosted by Mark Long and Eric Nice. If you can't put it together, it was pretty much billed as, you know, the OG road ruler, the OG real worlder, Eric Nice, Mark Long. They were hosting together in 32 contestants coming in to Cabo San Lucas. Those are your basics. Let's talk evolutions. And this, as I kind of said before, this season was one of the biggest turning points in the history of the show. We'll have to go back at the end and kind of really break down which seasons really changed the game the most, but this section of evolutions is going to be quite long, and certainly I imagine be one of the longest of any of these podcasts that we do. As I rattle off a few minutes ago, seasons two, five, and seven really stand out as when things really, really change, too, obviously, because it happened in the first place. There's a lot of change when you're kind of the first of its kind. This season was the next big change from two, three, and four. Pretty much the same stuff. There were small little evolutions that we talked about on those podcasts, but this season, a big, big changes happened. And then two seasons later, a bunch of bigger changes happened. And I imagine as we go further and further into these seasons and we get into the 15th, the 20th season beyond that, this little section of evolutions is going to get smaller and smaller as we go because it started to be, we've got the thing, now we're going to tweak it. Back in 2002, they were still trying to figure out what exactly the thing was. So let's talk through some of these evolutions. The first and obvious one, we said Cabo San Lucas, and that's it because there was only one location. The first time ever they decided we're putting you in one single place you're out of the buses you're into villas now there was still at this time two villas one for each team they were right next to each other they all met in the same dining hall so it's kind of like they were all staying together in one single house even if it was two villas next to each other but one central location a house that is what came to be the the entire challenge that was how they did everything that was obviously you know in large part a production choice to get in one place it makes it way easier And that leads to if you don't have to spend so much money traveling all around everywhere and you don't have to have such, uh, you know, confined spaces like these wonderful tour buses they all had, instead of 12 people, you can now have 32 people. And that was the next evolution. The cast size was way, way bigger. 32 returnees and up from the previous high of 12, the previous two seasons. So a massive, massive jump. And secondary to that, along with the casting, not only was the cast size way bigger, But for the first time ever, we had people playing their second seasons of the challenge. There was Sean, there was Veronica, and yes, and John, and Beth, and you know, Mark and Eric weren't playing, but they were hosting. But for the first time, we were not, we were seeing that change over from previous four seasons. It was, yes, we're bringing someone you love from the real world or the road rules back in. But this was the first time they committed to not only were we going to bring them back in once, but now we're going to let them have a full-blown challenge career. We're going to let them do multiple seasons. We're going to let them build more relationships and see how this goes by bringing in a bunch of the same people and mixing them and matching them every season after each other. So the biggest cast ever by a large margin at this time, allowing players to play their second season of the show. Next evolution then 
was the actual format. Instead of teams, there were still the two, two teams. It was still Road Rules versus Real World, but inside of that, we had partners for the first ever time. My favorite format of the show, if I do say so, is a good partner season. While we did eventually, you know, previously we'd only ever had six on six, six road rules, six real world, going at it in a team event for three, the last three seasons. Now, although they were teams, they competed as the pairs and then would eventually go on to somewhat mirror the standard format as people left the show. It got down to six on six road rules versus real worlds, but still, again, competing as the pairs, keeping scores as pairs, winning prizes as pairs, only the very final mission was it a true, this is a team six on six challenge for this amount of money. So a hybrid model, but the partners for the first time, which leads to From 32 down to 12, we just said that, which means the next evolution was that people were eliminated. This was the first ever season where we said, hey, you can come to Cabo San Lucas. We'll let you play this wonderful show. We'll let you hang out with all these other wonderful people. But you may go home on day one. You may get kicked off. Now, we didn't quite have elimination rounds. That will be a few more seasons till we get to something of that level. Instead, we had a scoring system used to gain and keep control or safety in the game. Every single one of the daily challenges, there would be there would be points attributed to first place through however many teams were left at that time from 20 points down to however many one point down for each place. You total your team, the top three on each road rules or real world side, then make the inner circle. That inner circle votes someone out after every single daily challenge and you accumulate points so that inner circle can change challenge to challenge and keep you safe or put you on the chopping block. But people were eliminated. People were kicked off. John, Beth, Yes, and Veronica were told to go home on day two before the hurricane and the greatest toga party that has ever happened and just an absolute bummer that those four amazing people got sent home right away but people were being eliminated that was such a big seismic change it went right along with being able to have the huge cast being able to stay in one spot all of that but it's it's weird to even think now even coming off of having reviewed the first four seasons of the show the idea of people just getting to come on the show and stay the entire time is just kind of crazy and this is the season that all changed next evolution hosts the first four seasons of the show featured, you know, there was the Mr. Big, Miss Big thing that I still I don't like at all, but they weren't even really there as a host. They showed up right at the beginning, right at the end, and they sent voiceover clues throughout season four. Right before this, there was a mayor for every single one of the daily challenges, but no actual host. This was the first season where they said, we're giving you hosts. Those hosts will be there at the start, at every daily challenge, at every elimination ceremony, at every single moment of matter to the show, they will be there hosting it. And not only did we have one, but we had two absolutely amazing, iconic hosts. As we said before, that was Mark Long, the original road ruler, if you will, and Eric Nice, the original real worlder, if you will, or one of the originals from the first ever seasons of those shows. These two just absolutely crushed it. They definitely put the formula in place for, yeah, there should be a host of this thing. The same as at this time, we're in 2002 now. So although the challenge had come first, we were now having multiple seasons of Survivor in, multiple seasons of Big Brother in The Amazing Race. They, I think all three shows were on their second or, in Survivor's case, potentially third season. And obviously, they had a, a host that was kind of a bit of a face of the show already. And so the challenge got in the host game and started moving towards 
what would eventually be a long-term face of the challenge host as well. It would take a few seasons to get all the way to one Mr. TJ Lavin. But in the meantime, Eric and Mark, absolutely. They were maybe one of my favorite parts of this entire season. They crush the hosting duties and have so much fun with it. Last two evolutions then. The prize money continued to evolve, much to the thanks of the cast members themselves, I'm sure. Up to $300,000 grand prize, plus, honestly, if you add up all the prizes of this season, probably four dollars to $500,000 worth of money, cash, prizes were given out. This season's prizes were absolutely incredible. So the previous season had been $150,000 total up for grabs in the bank between all the different missions. This one was just get to the final mission, and that final mission will be worth $300,000 for the six of you to split or more people to split, more on that later, but 50K for everyone on the winning team, plus every single daily challenge came with prizes. There were cars twice. There was a $20,000 shopping spree as a prize multiple times. There was huge adventure packages. There, Every single one of the prizes on this season was incredible and high value. Again, one of them was literally a $20,000 cash shopping spree to like a mall-type setup, which is insane. I would rather, you know, win that early on uh, versus, you know, just the 50K at the end. It's it's not equivalent, but it's pretty close. So bring back prizes. That is going to be a, uh, a refrain multiple times through this podcast because uh, they add they add so much to the show. They add budget to the show because you get paid to do that sponsored content and you probably don't have to pay for those prizes themselves. And I just, prizes should come back. But the final then, that's the final real evolution of the show. So we had staying in one location. The cast size got way bigger. We had partners for the first time ever. People were being eliminated for the first time ever. We had an actual dedicated host all season long for the first time ever. The prize money was double the size, if not triple the size when you count the prizes of what it had ever been. And then a few other quick one-hitter challenge first. A baby was allowed in the challenge house, which is a first and last, thankfully, time ever. But yes, a baby. Blue had her six-month-old baby with her on this season living in the villa. So that is a thing that happened. A couple was targeted for having too much power. That was a first that happened on this season. There were puzzles. This is a huge one. It kind of struck me the moment it happened. It was only halfway through the season, but I realized the first ever real puzzle daily challenge occurred, and up until this point in the show, puzzles hadn't really been a thing. They'd been done much more physical daily challenges, some silly things, costume contests, doing improv, things of that nature, but they never had to straight up just, hey, here's a puzzle first to figure it out, get surprised, and get some power. That was amazing, and a true important, iconic challenge first, kind of. Kind of, I don't know if I want to count it totally, but trivia, not a full-blown trivia. Here's some trivia questions. Instead, what we will talk about a lot, uh, an amazing daily challenge, a newlywed game style, asking you questions about your partner and trying to match answers with your partner. So not quite trivia, but sitting down, writing some answers on a board and comparing those answers to the correct ones. So kind of a version, the, the the seed of what would become the most iconic daily challenge that has to occur every single season. So the seeds of trivia were planted as a challenge first as well. So those are your evolutions. That's where the challenge was going into this wonderful, wonderful season. And that's already some of the wonderful things about this season of are all these evolutions that took place. Now, let's tie a bow on that and dive into what 
really went down what were the major storylines of this fifth season, the battle of the seasons. Storylines of the season. There, uh, This was a season where there was a handful of kind of overarching storylines, but really it went kind of two to three episode runs at a time, which is, you know, probably for the best for a season. Sometimes it gets, you know, with 15 episodes, it can get a little little old if it's just one kind of storyline beaten down episode after episode. So it was really nice to have kind of little little runs of these next two, three episodes. This would be going on. This would become a thing. This would become a theme amongst the cast. And there was still a couple that went, you know, season long would pop up here or there. But let's get into them. The first, the biggest one, basically spent three episodes, episode two, three, and four, almost all of focused on Hurricane Juliet and the production stoppage that that to, uh, that that made happen uh, and figuring out what to do about that and if they were going to be able to continue this season on basically their second or third day there. They had eliminated four people already. They'd done their first elimination and voted some people out. But then before they could get to their second daily challenge, a large, massive Category 4 hurricane comes in to Cabo and eventually puts shelf, makes them shelter in place for about three full days, maybe even four full days. Uh, the hurricane itself lasting two to three days, and then the damage, it did a ton, ton of damage to the villas and everywhere in that area, and they it seemed like they maybe, it wasn't until a fourth or fifth day that they actually got back to like, all right, we can try to do a daily challenge, and it's going to be just in the pool next to us because that that isn't totally ruined, and we can do that right there without having to go out and about too much, but they had to be removed from their villas and go to a separate hotel where it was a little safer to hunker down. Their electricity went out. Their, the water stopped working. The cell phones, which we'll talk about in a minute, they had access to cell phones at all times. Those weren't working. And it led to one of the greatest moments in challenge history, which was the toga party that occurred during the time when they had no electricity and nothing to do and were just hunkered down withstanding a hurricane on the outside. That will be a, a something we talk about a lot, lot later. But that was the first story of the season, really. Episode one, we get the kind of the format, and we learn about everything, and we get to, you know, kind of our, in, where are they now is with all 32 cast members. But then, boom, right away, the next overarching story is Hurricane Juliet, the production stoppage. Were, I imagine there were some real conversations in the moment of, like, are we going to actually keep doing this. This is really delaying us. Thankfully, uh, they, you know, it seemed there was no cast members like hey, we, uh, we got too much going on. We can't like have an extra week thrown into the time frame of this. They, you know, got the villas straightened out, I guess, for long enough, all of that. They were able to continue the season and have a wonderful season after it. But that really dominated uh, two full episodes without really any, any actual challenge happening and just Here's them getting through a hurricane and then back into the show. So that was your first storyline of the season. It was then followed by, or really kind of jointly with, the Chadwick and Holly and how they affected the Road Rules team, which I should have said back in the kind of the basics of the season, the entire cast. Let me 
quickly give everyone their due and run through the entire thing here, every single one of the pairs. So you know who we're talking about with this season. I can't believe I forgot to do this before. It's the most important part, the people on the show itself. So very, very quick rundown of all 32 folks who joined us for the season. Oh, starting over on the real world side, we had Sean and Elka from Real World Boston. We had Mike the Miz and Coral from Back to New York. We had Danny and Kelly from New Orleans, Norman and Becky from New York, Mike and Flora from Miami, Stephen and Lindsay from Seattle, Mike and Sharon from London, and John and Beth from Real World LA. And then over on the Road Rules side, we had Theo Vaughn and Holly B from Maximum Velocity Tour. We had Dan and Tara from Northern Trail, Timmy Baggy and Emily from Second Adventure, Josh and Holly from Latin America, Adam and Yasella from The Quest, Chris and Baloo from Road Rules Europe, Chadwick and Piggy from Road Rules Down Under, and Yes and Veronica from Semester at Sea. So that's a quick rundown of all 32 people that were there. Apologies to all them that I didn't start first and foremost with them. The most important part of the season is those wonderful folks making it happen and performing on it for our entertainment and pleasure. So back to the storylines then. The first episode, really through the first five episodes or so that it took for it to kind of be resolved and then it actually popped up again in episodes kind of eight and nine was that Chadwick and Holly B., both from different seasons of The Road Rules, had met outside of the show, fallen in love, gotten married, and came into this show as a married couple. The first time, not the first, obviously, romance on the show, but the first time a couple came into the show as a couple. The first time they entered the household, like, hey, we're already together. Uh, we're not falling in love here on the season. We're, we're already in love. We're together. And not only are that, we're full-blown married. And it was the first time that had happened and then became the first time that because of that, that everyone else in on their team, uh, especially really re- early on, it was just everyone else on the Road Rules team, again, with the format of three teams rise to power at any given time as the inner circle to vote someone else off. This idea of a married couple, one on a, two of them on two different Road Rules teams could end up making up two thirds of that inner circle felt like a little too much power and a little too strong of an alliance to have within the team. They were targeted immediately because of it and partially not just because uh, that the power they could wield if they both made the inner circle together, which they did the very first daily challenge, which kind of kicked this whole idea off. But also then being married, they you know didn't always partake in as much of the social gatherings as the rest of the cast did early on. So that a little bit ostracized them as they're kind of always doing their own thing. They very famously were two of the three people who did not get to partake in any way in the iconic toga party during Hurricane Juliet. That was a poor choice by them, must say. Um, And so that ran for the first four or five episodes. That was kind of the biggest story on Team Road Rules was, what are we going to do about this Chadwick Holly situation? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? There's a big blow up. There was an alliance made, an alliance then broken, which was probably the first in challenge history real alliance happening. Chadwick literally gives a speech uh, at one point talking about how good he is and how much he doesn't need an alliance and that he's breaking the alliance and he's waving around a, a, a water bottle the whole time he's doing it. It's a very, very good moment. Um, but he eventually gets sent home. Holly B stays in the inner circle, makes it all the way to the end. It absolutely crushes it this season along with her partner, Theo. And this story does pop back up later on in the season in episode eight, nine range for a couple because 
All season long, these folks had access to not only cell phones, at any time they wanted, they could call their loved ones. There was a couple cell phones in each villa, it seemed, and they used them frequently. And they also could pop into the internet cafe down the road and check their emails, which they did frequently. And at one point, Chadwick emails Emily and Timmy, another Road Rules team, to let them know that he doesn't feel great about how Emily specifically handled their alliance and then the breaking of their alliance or whether there was at all or just how she handled that. And she blamed him for, she he blamed her for him not being there with his wife anymore, which was a bad, bad look for him. It was not all Emily's fault. It was, you know, she had something to do with it, as did everyone on the team, as did certainly Chadwick and Holly themselves. So that storyline was a big one and played out and was very interesting from the challenge perspective, another kind of evolution of the show. Um, now we've got actual couples on the show with a cast this big. They all know each other. We're bringing people in and out back for multiple seasons. People are going to start not just hooking up and having little flings and romances on the show, but some of them actually then end up sticking it out and being real relationships and getting married and all this, that, and the other. And if you come back on the show, is that a problem for other people? Is that too much power to wield in one person or one couple's hands? So that was your second big storyline. Then a story that lasted the entire season, and I it just drives me crazy. It it shouldn't. It might it says a lot about me and what type of competitor maybe I am, uh the not the greatest, um, that this bothers me so much, but maybe it'll bother you. But this season, all season long, there was this splitting of the money plan that was put in place that drove me crazy. So right away, first, like second day. Uh, I think it maybe manifested during the the production shutdown during Hurricane Juliet. Everyone has all this fun at the toga party, and they they reference over and over that the stoppage for Hurricane Juliet brought the entire cast, not just real world and road rules, but the entire cast that was at that time left, which was 28 people, all really, really together as this the first ever you know dysfunctional challenge family. Everyone loves each other, even if sometimes they hate certain people within the group. But this big dysfunctional family, they all loved each other. And at that point, real world side decides, hey, you know what would be nice? We're going to eliminate people every single week. And that's a bummer. But the way we're going to make that not so much of a bummer is if we tell those eliminated people that, hey, we're eliminating the weakest teams so that we can have the strongest teams here in the end. And those strong teams, when they win, we will send some money that we win back to all the teams we had to eliminate. Everyone will get paid a little bit. We'll kick back money to every single team that we eliminate. They decide this is such a great idea that they have Sean, the lawyer of the group, write up an actual contract of sorts, and they all make handshake agreements amongst the team real world that this is what they are going to do. And it does lead to great camaraderie on the team, and as they vote people off, those people aren't very upset. They, in fact, you know, multiple times in a row, we got... Uh, we have the only one that really got upset about it was Steven, and he was kind of had a little bit of an outcast of his team. Um, but you had Sharon and Lindsay and Mike and other many others as they got voted off, giving speeches, well wishes to the teams, having one last fun night, but having no ill will at all. Don't know if they actually got paid in the end. We'll discuss that more potentially later on if they did or didn't. But that was not where it started and ended. It, that happened, that deal was made, and then it kind of went away, and it was in the background. It was like, okay, maybe maybe they won't actually go through with that, and maybe we won't hear about it again. But then, Road Rules team, four or five challenges in, 
they don't have the camaraderie that real world has. Every time they eliminate someone, it's a huge deal. It's a huge bummer. Everyone's all upset. And as they whittle down their teams, their their individual pairs aren't getting along very well. They decide, you know what? It seems to be working for real world. So why don't we put one of these money splitting plans in place too? And then we won't feel so bad about eliminating people. So they do the exact same thing. They decide, hey, we're going to kick back money. Never fully said uh, to every team that's already been eliminated. Because at the point they decide to do it, they're down to like five pairs i think um instead of you know the uh whatever uh eight that they started with so they'd already sent six people away without being a part of this deal potentially but they decided to and i'm like oh my gosh this is just i can't believe they're doing this where is the competitiveness i guess you know first season people are getting sent home it makes sense that this happened but you know 20 more seasons later could never imagine anyone. We now have, you know, people stealing half a million dollars from their partners that they just won a season with. So the furthest thing from giving money back, I mean, we did actually just very recently have not anything to this level, but CT and Casey, the winners of the latest season, Spies, Lies, and Allies, season 37, did get the option to how to split the million-dollar prize between finalists, and they did give a solid 50 grand apiece to the other four that made that final six with them, which was very, very nice of them. But that's the level where I'm like, that's really cool, and that's what you should do. But you shouldn't take that million dollars and split it all up amongst 32 people. You shouldn't take $300,000 and split it up amongst 32 people. You won that money. Take some of it home. You're already going to have to give a bunch of it away to taxes and everything else. You're not going to get nearly as much as you think. Don't offer to give it away to people and then have to figure out how to play taxes on that and all this other stuff. You don't need to do it. So both teams have this plan in place. And then to make it worse. This resurfaces again even later in the season. Once we get down to halfway through the season, they get whittled it all the way down to six people left on Road Rules, six people left on Real World, three teams apiece. And then it kind of takes the form of uh, the seasons prior where it's six on six, these two teams, and eventually the final mission is team versus team for that $300,000 prize. But before we get to the final mission, they decide, you know what, it's not good enough to say the winning team is going to pay all of their former teammates that they had a hand in voting off and eliminating but we're also going to make handshake deals with each other that we're going to pay the losers. Now the losers are getting money, not just the losers of the winning team, but the losers of the actual losing team are going to get money. And that's exactly what almost every single one of them do. They pair up the final six. They each find a partner on the other show's team and they shake hands and decide on a number of, Hey, uh, you know, Timmy and Sean, if uh, if you guys win, you're going to kick five grand back to me. If I win, I'm going to kick five grand back to you. Some of them straight up went 50-50. Hey, whoever wins this, we you, you know, you send half the money to me. I send half the money to you or, you know, 10% or $500 or five grand. But they all make a handshake deal. Five out of the six do. The only one, my new absolute queen for being the holdout and the confident woman the only one on the show, even if it did backfire because their team didn't win, was Holly B, who says, no, we're, we've are we been kicking ass all season. We came here to compete, and I think I can win. And if I win, I want to keep all the money. I'm not making a deal, which meant her and then Coral as the only one on the other side who didn't have anyone to make that handshake agreement with were the only ones who did not, which really benefited Coral. I imagine when she went, won and had you know no one that she had to give a bunch of her money to on the other team. But I applaud you, Holly B, for being the one that stands strong. So the whole season, we have this this thing in the background of, hey, how do we get more camaraderie amongst the teams? I know. Let's make sure everyone's going to get some money. And it is just very far-fetched now to think about 20 years later and what 
the show would become and how ruthless and cutthroat and how much bigger the money and the prizes and everything would get that this was happening and that this was literally one of the biggest storylines the entire season long. It wasn't just mentioned a one-off, but they talked about it all the time. It continually was brought up. It affected every single episode of the show. Absolutely wild stuff and no no knowledge. I've got a... I'm going to have to slide into some DMs here of some of the some of the folks on the winning or even, I guess the losing team would be the easier one to find out, hey, did anyone, did they actually go through with this or did those final six take that 50 grand each and run run with it and not try not to bring up uh, what happened? But I imagine they, they had to make some payouts because, I mean, these handshake deals, Sean, again, wrote a second contract <laughs> the second time around for anyone that had a handshake deal. He had a, you know, he was a lawyer. It's not a legal, fully legally binding document, but it was, you know, written in legalese and everyone signed it. So it was something. And then next storyline, then road rules. There was a clear physical advantage o- over the course of the entire season. Uh, it was known early on. Again, the way the format worked, every challenge was uh, you competed as pairs, you earned points as pairs, and those points were accumulated throughout the season. But the Road Rules teams, and especially Theo and Holly, uh, clear, clearly from the start were a little bit, had the physical advantage. They were racking up the most points. Um, while the points didn't ultimately matter, real world versus Road Rules, if they would have, Road Rules was racking up more and more of them as time went on. Theo and Holly especially exerted their dominance early on. They won three of the first like seven, six or seven daily challenges. They were clearly the team to be later in the season. It became Timmy and Emily. They won the final two challenges. And really over on the real world side, as much as the Miz and Coral wanted to be that dominant team for them, it was Sean and Elka that was really dependent on to be the two that kept up with the best road rules teams. But through the first, up until they got to six on six, it was very clear. It was like, oh man, road rules is kind of clearly better. All these challenges seem to be physical in nature and they've got the better athletes. And even if they don't got the camaraderie and everything, they've, they've kind of got the advantage in all of these. And once it got to six on six, it felt a little more even, a little more balanced as the road rules had, or real world, excuse me, had purposely been trying to make the best possible team for the challenges itself and not just the team that everyone liked the most or that had the power at one time, tried to keep the power where road rules was continually voting off whoever's in fourth, whoever's the best team that we're allowed to eliminate. Let's get rid of them to keep those of us in the top three as safely in the top three as possible, which did pretty much keep the top three from mission two on was the top three on road rules side. So they did keep themselves protected, but it maybe made them slightly weaker than they could have been. Although I, I do think they ended up with their three best possible teams on both sides from a competitive standpoint, both teams ended up with their three best possible people moving forward. But that road rules advantage was discussed all season long. They kind of felt like the favorites all season long. And within that, you know, Theo and Holly were definitely looked at as the favorite team or pairing within any of the teams. And that would all come culminate in the final mission where they went in thinking road rules, very confident, thinking we've got this, we're going to get this win. They come to the beach, they see that it's physical. They're like, yes, it's, it's all us for the taking. Real world knows they're a little bit of underdogs, but then those underdogs roar as they do fall way behind in the physical portion of it, but it comes down to a puzzle. They crush the puzzle. The Miz, I should say, crushes the puzzle. They catch up, vault to the lead, and take home the win. The underdogs get the win, but all season long, it was very much road rules favored, Real world underdog, real world pulling off the win in the end. 
the final then big kind of storyline is a is kind of a two-parter. Well, the the narrow version of it was Mike. Mike the Miz figuring out who the Miz, what the Miz was, and what you know, life in general. He's 21 or turns 21 on this season, very kind of infamously turns 21 on this season. But Mike and Coral. Their friendship was kind of front and center. They were kind of the most, um, you know, the most featured on the real world side of things for sure. And just kind of using Mike as a proxy for this show being another, an extension of what the real world was of these people figuring out what life is, who they want to be, what they want to do, putting that on display, learning and growing and making mistakes in front of us. Mike has kind of an infamous breakdown during this season on his 21st birthday, which we will discuss moving forward here later on in this podcast. But he and Coral really are put forward as the kind of macro version of this, not just of an extension of the real world. We're going to continue seeing these people learn and grow and being interesting people to learn about and watch. But coupled with that was the two of them, the Miz and Coral, really emerging as the first challenge stars. And along with them, gotta say as well, Timmy and Theo over on the Road Rules side, along with the Miz and Coral, becoming not just all of these folks were legitimate stars at the time, as we talked about a lot in the last couple seasons when they had all these live audiences and it would be, you know, people like Tech were legitimately super duper stars coming off of the real world. But now, not just they were stars from those shows, from the real world, from Road Rules, but this was the season it felt like it was emerging as, no, Coral and The Miz are the stars of the challenge. They are stars of this show and they're going to be back on this show multiple times and they are going to have a fame and stardom and the real world thing is going to be the origin story now. This is where they're truly going to become superstars and television stars and everyone's going to love them and got to watch them multiple seasons over and it felt like The Miz and Coral especially those two as a partner uh, pair and partners and best buddies, they were really setting the stage for we can make stars on this show. We aren't just going to bring stars in from those other shows and watch them again. We are going to brighten those stars. We're going to make blow them up even bigger. And again, Miz and Coral at the front of that, I would say Timmy and Theo certainly, and even honestly, Mark and Eric as the hosts, um, uh, you know, growing their own stardom as well. The challenge kind of realizing and putting it front and center as a story of these, these people are not just stars from a thing before, but we're going to light them up. We're going to brighten them up. We're going to put them up on the marquee. They're now challenge stars as well. So that's a handful of kind of the biggest overarching stories that happened throughout the season. Let's then move in from there and talk about a bunch more things that happened through the season, but let's do so first by talking about some of the things that aged the best, some that didn't age so well, and if there were any warts on this season of the show. So let's do that now. What aged the best? What aged the worst? And were there any warts on this season? Let's start with the positive. What aged the best from this season? Well, first and foremost, definitely far and away, the thing that aged the best was Mike the Miz wanting to be a pro wrestler. That aged phenomenally well as he we we're coming off literally a week or two weekends ago. Um, him having the biggest moment and the challenge with Mark Long, Godfather Mark Long playing a part in it. The biggest moment at WrestleMania a couple weekends ago, the Miz and Logan Paul tag team win. Betrayal of Logan Paul, Miz and the Godfather celebrating together. 
So yeah, the Miz wanting to be a pro wrestler that aged fantastically well. And we'll mention that every season that he is on essentially where the Miz, his character is only honed and honed more. And in fact, we get the origin story of the name explained here during his uh, little romantic tryst with, uh, Tara. So why don't I go ahead and just play that now so you can like me and rewatching this, learn where the name originally came from, where the idea even came from. So let's hear that quickly from him. So you picked up this Miz character? Like from My friends, you know, nicknamed me the Miz because every time I get in a competition, I feel like I turn into this like complete psychotic, like loony. Mike is sort of the, you know, sort of the trash talker that can't back up his whole, like, whatever, his whole spiel. But then a switch clicks on, and The Miz comes out. And so what happens, it's Miz kicks ass. And The Miz went all the way further on this one. Not only did we we had the breakdown that we will discuss uh, here later in the moments of the season uh, award ceremony, but we did have him literally getting in the wrestling ring and putting on a true wrestling performance. And in that daily challenge where it was called Siamese wrestling, they were strapped to their partner. It went South quick to start with Mike, the Miz being a little too rough and things and not being as fun and jovial as it should. They have to stop their round, but then eventually he apologizes. They come back in the ring and they put a microphone in the guy's hands and he absolutely shines he has fun with it he learns how to entertain and not just wrestle and so his entire wrestling persona in the Miz was put on full display for the first time for the world to see and that obviously aged super duper well another thing that aged super duper well Theo Vaughn telling jokes still at this time going by the full last name that I cannot pronounce so I'm not going to try but Theo Vaughn now massively famous successful stand-up comedian his first season on the challenge and his confessionals were absolute gold throughout he's making jokes left and right and that obviously ages very well as that became a wildly successful career for him sean and rachel still together going strong the og the true original challenge couple from season one sean duffy rachel campos we've mentioned with season one they would eventually go on not just get married but have nine kids super duper successful political careers and news careers Still going strong today. We get a lot of, Rachel was not in this cast, but with all of the cell phone use and the email use, we get a lot of what Sean and Rachel's life like now. They had had their first child. Their second was on the way. They, you know, finances were tough. There's a beautiful moment on in this season where uh, the eighth or ninth episode, Sean and Elka win one of the daily challenges and win a car and it's coming right off the heels of him calling home and knowing that like you know the finances are getting tough and he's feeling the pressure of i, I gotta win some stuff i gotta win some money this would be so helpful for me and my burgeoning family and then they win the cars and he calls her crying about we got a new car now it's amazing it was wonderful heartwarming stuff but sean and rachel together that aged super well because now we're not on kid number two i believe they have nine children or something to that effect so that went really really well the final thing that aged incredibly well from this season is Mark Long being great on television. Turns out it's a fantastic idea anytime and every time that you can have The Godfather be a part of your television show. It just keeps getting better and better and bigger and bigger for him with all kinds of shows. I was just watching an Instagram live of his last night of him talking through the three or four different shows in the next few months that he will be a part of or producing or starring on that are coming to our television screen. So hats off to him, and that certainly aged well. Him coming back as one of the hosts of this season. Now let's touch on a couple negative things. There's a few things that didn't age so well. Uh, so things that didn't age well on this season. First and foremost, 
the baby in the challenge house. Uh, it's a tough look looking back. Thankfully, you know, nothing, nothing bad ever happens or anything. Uh, and Blue, who is the mother of the child that is right to the challenge house, does a wonderful job. She's clearly a wonderful mother in this. Um, and, but it, it does pose some difficulties and immediately right away, it's, you know, like the first daily challenge they're called to. And she's like, okay, wait, I'm, I'll be there in a second. I got to like, make sure there's a nanny that's in place. The baby's never just like left alone. Um, but like, I'll be down there in a few minutes. I got to change this diaper real quick and then I'll, I can come there. But, uh, production deciding that it would be totally okay for a six month old baby to live in a challenge house. Uh, not, not a great idea. doesn't age super well, but thankfully made it through without any sort of harm or incident. Although the baby literally lived through the hurricane Juliet shutdown in, in that house with them. So that's pretty wild, uh, in general. Another thing that aged poorly is the fact that Veronica and Beth, and respectfully, yes, and John as well, but Veronica and Beth, uh, even more so. I think gentlemen, the gentleman can can understand that. Focus on those were the first four eliminated and sent home, and those four getting sent home first, and especially Veronica and Beth, knowing all they had already done in their first seasons of the show and would go on to do in their other seasons of the challenge. It just it's a big missed opportunity that those were the first people sent home on this season, one or two episodes or one literally one episode in, um, in two part episodes, so kind of two episodes, but really first episode, boom, we lose four people that were all had major impacts on this series and in the previous series that they're pulling from, and especially Veronica and Beth. Uh, that's just a big, big bummer and a big missed opportunity. When I queued this up, I was like, oh my God, yes, we get more of them. You know, some of the people I'm most excited for coming into this season and then boom, they're gone. So that ages poorly, just, but you know, no one's fault, just a missed opportunity that the show had. And then the final thing that ages not so great from a production standpoint is they, they had figured out, Hey, more people better. Let's get it to 32, but they had not figured out how to then they went from 32 to 12 really quick. And it went from, Hey, we've got 32 people, but by episode eight, and it would have been by episode maybe five or six, if it wasn't for a hurricane shutting this whole thing down and adding episodes to the season, we're down to 12 like that. And then we have a 10 episode season essentially with just 12 people. They would eventually over the years learn that the best way to do this was eliminate people as slowly as possible, have as many people left as late in the game as possible, and then do some big purges, double eliminations, those sorts of things, bring more people to the final, all this, that, and the other. But going from 32 to 12 so quickly doesn't age super well, knowing what could have been and the, the you know the more entertaining version of that, that would eventually evolve into. So those are the only things that really age bad. This, this season really, really, for 20 years later, ages incredibly well. There aren't really any warts on the season, thank goodness. Hopefully, there's not too many seasons where we have actual warts to discuss. Even the only two, when I, you know, if you haven't watched this season in forever, maybe ever watched the season, if I tell you there was a MTV toga party with 28 people from the real world road rules that took place in a building without electricity back in 2002, you might think, hmm, that sounds really entertaining, but I bet that maybe parts of it weren't, you know, wouldn't age well or maybe wouldn't look so great. You'd be wrong. It actually was, in, you know, ages incredibly well. I will talk a lot about it later. I think it might be the greatest moment in challenge history, but that toga party, uh, everything, everything went down kosher. Everyone's having a great time. It seems like uh, it was, you know, this unifying, wonderful event. So you would maybe think just from the outside, you hear toga party in the middle of a hurricane, 
I don't know. That sounds like there, you know, there could be room for some untoward things to happen. No, uh, at least from every everything we know, uh, everything went great. And then the only real kind of dark-ish moment of the season, or real kind of really serious moment of the season, is the Miz having a little bit of a breakdown on his twenty-first birthday. But even that, uh, it almost ages well in a weird way. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's not his proudest moment or finest moment, but what happens is it's his 21st birthday. Uh, It's kind of a two-episode arc. Uh, They stay up until midnight, and at midnight on his 21st birthday, he's so excited. He's got a beer in his hand, and he can drink it when he turns 21. Turns 21, and everyone else, Timmy, most, uh, most kind of iconically, walks up to him and says, all right, it's your birthday. Great. Congrats. Happy birthday. And I'm going to bed. And then everyone else goes to bed and they don't really celebrate because they got a daily challenge the next morning at that daily challenge. Mike and Coral get second place. Mike is DQ'd. They have to hold their hands and feet on an ice block for what turns out to be up to four hours long. Their feet end up getting so frozen they can't even feel that they're no longer touching the ice block in parts, which leads to a lot of disqualifications, the last among them being The Miz himself disqualifying. They get second place. He's bummed out. There's a margarita bar right there on the beach right next to him at the Daily Challenge. He starts pounding the margaritas, and it eventually he gets himself... Uh, you know, properly, uh, some would say, 21st birthday level drunk. And he proceeds to walk around the house, go on a walk outside, walk around on the beach, just yelling at himself and berating himself. And that's the interesting thing about it is it does he doesn't include anyone else in this. It's all internalized him. And he's talking to himself as The Miz talking to Mike and yelling at himself and telling him he's got to win, he's got to beat Rodol's ass, this, that, and the other. The only single, there's one stray comment. He runs into Tara, who uh, they, they've been having a little bit of a romance, and he does one little, you know, shut up, leave me alone. But it's, you know, that that's the extent of any, any stray shots towards anyone else. It's all very self-centered around himself. And, you know, he breaks down, he loses it, he freaks out, he's yelling at himself, up, walks up the street, listening to music, yelling at himself out on the beach. And then his good buddy Coral eventually comes out and just does a master class in how to, you know, both give the emotional support that he was clearly looking for to talk down a very drunk friend to get them back into reality. It is a just a master class in friendship and being a wonderful person and talking someone out of a little bit of a drunken rage or stupor. And he eventually comes back around. He apologizes to everyone. And he learns a lot from the episode. And I think everyone else in the cast learns, you know, a bit about it. And we as viewers learn, you know, like 21st birthdays, those can get out of hand. Certainly the pressure of this show, Mark, or excuse me, Mike was kind of the first one to be like, we like, I'm here. I'm trying to prove something. I have this other career I want to do. Like I need to be winning this stuff. Like that matters to me. So all very interesting stuff that actually, Honestly, it, you know, there's a couple moments of it that are a little hard to watch because you feel for the guy, but it actually ages really well as far as how he kept it self-contained, how Coral handles it, how the rest of the cast handles it, all of it. Um, so this season, no warts. So hats off to season five, to the cast of production. No warts to speak of, only a few small things that uh, really don't age well, and they were all kind of format type of situations thing, nothing that any untoward happened, and a lot of stuff that aged really, really well. So hats off to everyone involved. It's a wonderful season, so wonderful that we've got a lot of contenders for all of our regular awards. So without further ado, let's jump on over to the awards stage. Let's get the trophies lined up, and let's hand out some hardware. First up, 
As always, we got to talk about some quotes. There were a lot of great confessionals this season, a lot of great quotes. This was definitely a little bit of a turning point in the history of the show as far as figuring out what they were exactly using the confessional for, what they were asking the cast members in those confessionals, what they were kind of prompting out of them. And along with that, we just had a bunch of really charismatic folks on this season. You know, even in this best quote, these five nominees we got, we don't even somehow have Coral represented who always brings it in the confessional booth and just at all times she has a couple amazing moments uh, this season, but sometimes it's not with words. She has a couple times where she's mocking some people with her facial expressions, this, that, and the other. Uh, she's great. Theo, Timmy, especially, they both have two nominees here. Norman, Ms. Mark and Eric as hosts. Lindsay, before she is removed, that was a big thing we'll we can touch on later. I think it will come up. Uh, but we had a bunch of awesome, awesome people that were just, it, would, it was a bummer that we whittled down to 12 so quickly and we didn't get much time with a lot of other folks. But the the interview game, the quote game was to a new level this season. Five nominees to go through. We'll do them chronologically very quickly here. Episode two, Norman, he's back, Norm. And during the beginnings of the hurricane, the house, you know, the electricity goes off. And then the cell phones stop working. And then it water starts to be everywhere. And at first, they don't totally know where that water is coming from. And uh, Norm, especially, is a little bit concerned that it might be his bunkmate. So let's hear him discuss that. Juliet has forced cast and crew to seek shelter for the past 48 hours. Mother Nature is just literally blowing up. And we're freaking out. We don't have electricity. Cell phones aren't working. We were evacuated. They're basically going to move us to a safer hotel so we're not in front of these huge glass windows in this villa. Everything is wet. Things start to smell. You can't sleep in your bed. I got dripped on. Drip, 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 drip. At first I thought it was Sean Peen. You can see people starting to get stressed out. Thankfully, we can report, no, it was in fact not Sean peeing in the bunk above Norm, but hilarious description of what was going down during that hurricane. Nonetheless, then next nominee, first of two for this guy, Theo Vaughn. He has all kinds of hilarious things. He has a couple jokes that don't totally work (laughs) this season, but for the most part, most of them do. And he is the first one in episode five that... You know, everyone, that's that's the episode the Road Rules team decides maybe we should be all kumbaya the way real world is and we should all get along and we should all be, you know, we should not take this competition so seriously. And Theo's like, you know, I I understand that, but I also came here to compete. So let's hear his apt description of that balance between friendship and competition. It's hard not to feel like attached to everyone here in a way. I mean, we're eating together, we're playing in the sand together, you know. Then all of a sudden, this competition hits the scene when somebody's got to go. It's beat down, but that's why we're all here in the first place. I didn't show up out here to make sandcastles. If only they did have an actual sandcastle competition, I would have loved to have watched that. They never fully get to that level, but... Uh, Theo does take the competition and wipes the floor with the competition early on. He and partner Holly B just dominate again the first six, seven episodes, three out of the first, I believe, six uh, daily challenges. They win. So he certainly didn't show up to make sandcastles. He showed up to win some money and make some jokes. Then we got Timmy, Timmy Baggy, the great, one of the greatest of all time. I forgot having not seen a season with Timmy on it in quite a while. 
how truly amazing this human is and how wonderful and good at television in this show in particular he was. Um, he, unfortunately, is one of three people that gets a serious case of Montezuma's revenge around episode seven um, and uh, is down for the count with all kinds of sickness and illness related to it. But he handles it in the most entertaining possible way. And there is not just one thing that he says about his symptoms or about being sick and having to compete that I could put as a nominee for the quote. They've, they've all got to go together. So here is a full-on audio package of all of the different times that Timmy explained his or his partner Emily's symptoms and a, a little brief cameo from Emily as well during this. Everything about Timmy and Emily having Montezuma's re- revenge here we go. Flu-like symptoms? Yeah, kind of, kind of, you know, I got a, I had 76 trombones in my stomach. Uh, I seem to have caught some type of illness and it's wreaking havoc in my intestines. So you got the too. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm hanging drywall every hour. Team Road Rules uh, 2 isn't doing so well. <laughs> Troops are down. <laughs> my head feels like um, a balloon full of snot. And uh, I think I have a fever. She has a fever. And um, a little case of diarrhea. Poopy poops. <laughs> and, um, and Aunt Flo came to visit today. My symptoms are... You're grouchy. Uh, I'm a little bit crabby. <laughs> uh, stomach pains. Diarrhea from the uh, porthole in my ears. Uh, every hour on the hour, I think I'm Liberace. <laughs> uh, slight bedwetting. Even I'm menstruating right now. The man just knows he knows how to make any situation, no matter what he's personally going through, he will find a way to make it entertaining, charming, funny, all of the above. Next nominee then is Theo again, second nominee for him. He has the best comment on the only romance of the season outside of obviously the married couple on the season is a romantic thing. And again, we get some Sean and Rachel, but Sean calling wife Rachel back home, that little bit of romance. But the only romance that uh, sparks that we know of, at least, uh, there is a VIP room during the toga party that we have no idea what went down within. Coral was the manager of that room and who was and was not allowed to go in. So maybe there was a little bit extra romance that we don't know about. But the only one we really knew about that was a story in any way was Mike the Miz and Tara. They uh, kindle a little bit of a romance, kind of a little on again, off again, not necessarily liking each other, disliking each other, but they like each other. They consummate that uh, mutual affection to each other. And then afterwards, they kind of go on and off of, do we want to just be good friends or do we do we like having a little bit of romance within it? So um, during the initial the initial spark, if you will. Uh, they try their best to hide from everyone else that there is anything going on. But of course, in you know, it's Challenge House. Everyone else knows, everyone else sees. And Theo comments on it in very, very funny fashion. Maybe one of his best jokes of the season. So let's hear that one from him now. Mike and Tara have been spending time together. I mean, I don't know if they're hiding files or planning another Watergate, but they seem to be rather secretive. And the final nominee for the quote of the season also goes to Timmy. Second nominee for him, and it actually, similar to the last one, happens to be about Mike. During, uh, it's a few episodes later, but... Mike as the Miz or figuring out what the Miz is, as we talked about, was a storyline all season, was a part of this big emotional you know, breakdown and two-episode arc uh, around his birthday that he had. But so Mike the Miz, 
in who was Mike, who was the Miz, what was the, what were they? Uh, it was a talking point all season long, and Timmy had an hilarious, uh, slight dig joke, if you will, about the whole situation. Here is that now. Theo, what do you have to say? Get scared. Get Little scared. Timmy and Theo love to make fun of the Miz. They see that I'm out to whoop some ass. Yeah, I'm out to huh? Huh, Timmy, what? What, Timmy? What do you got to say about me? What do you got to say? I got two phone calls here. Roy Rogers wants his belt back, and Ross Perot wants his accent and the word ninny back. All right? No one knows this, but the Miz is actually Mike after he drinks his own bath water. All in good fun. Those two had a great relationship on the show. So all jokes aside, they love each other. But those are your five nominees for the best quote. And it has to be, even though it isn't one specific quote, there's no one else that can win the award. But Timmy, he absolutely crushes the verbal game in this season. And him explaining all of the symptoms with a, 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 a second trophy as well for partner Emily and explaining hers. Those two get that award for the best quote for explaining all of Montezuma's revenge and everything it was doing to their insides and outers. So moving in to then the next category, the next award. There, This is really not a discussion. It's the best moment of the season, and it is far and away the toga party during Hurricane Juliet. Quickly shout out the other runners up. Episode 9, uh, there is a challenge where they have to ride uh, horses and pen some cattle, and there is a montage of everyone picking their horses and selecting it, and Theo being a little scared, and Timmy being left without a dance partner, as he calls it, and then Miz gets on his horse and his horse poops. The entire cast interacting with the horses. That moment is wonderful, and I will remember for sure. Honorable mention for best moment. Episode 11, Timmy. <laughs> During a daily challenge where they have to hold their hands on a block of ice, Timmy decides the natural conclusion of this is that, you know, they had to stand there for hours on end. You're going to have to go to the bathroom. They were allowed one five-minute break per three hours, I believe it was, if they wanted to choose so. But he elects not to use his break, but instead just to pee right where he is standing. And then eventually, when they have to put a third appendage on the ice, that means they all have to sit down, which means Timmy had to sit in his own pee during the daily challenge and that entire uh moment is just a wonderful moment honorable mention best moment of the season nominee the new leo ed questions about what your website would be called who in the cast you would want to hook up with and really the entire newlywed game um i forget what sidekick showdown whatever they called the newlywed style daily challenge that entire challenge and the questions and the answers and everything from that were a great moment an honorable mention for sure. Then Miz at, or Mike as the Miz full on in a wrestling ring for the first time before our eyes picking up the mic and entertaining the entire cast and us at home. That moment was wonderful and a nice little redemption uh, for him. And then Mark Long and Eric Nice as hosts, particularly in episode 12 and 14, hosting the newlywed style game and hosting the wrestling, uh, the Siamese wrestling daily challenge, but really throughout the entire season. Every time they were acting as hosts of a daily challenge, they went all the way full camp with it. They had so much fun. They always were wearing the outfits, always got in characters of, you know, on the wrestling one, it was, you know, Eric was the ref. Mark was the Bruce Banner-esque uh, Bruce Buffer, sorry, I always say Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Bruce Buffer, the announcer. Um, so their dedication to the bit, every single th- episode, every single different daily challenge, every single different bit was amazing. All of those moments were wonderful, but the only moment that could ever win this is obviously the great toga party during Hurricane Juliet. 
for some more context, we've referenced it multiple times now. Uh, this, as is all these moments and all the quotes we just mentioned, and pretty much everything we've talked about on this podcast and will on the rest of this podcast, are able to be watched to a degree on the Challenge Historian Instagram page. Check out the highlight reels we keep. We've recapped every single one of these episodes and kind of given the highlights, clips of every single one of these episodes throughout the season. We've done so for the first five seasons now. They're saved as highlights on the profile page on Instagram at the Challenge Historian. If you want to watch all these, and there's a bunch of them from the Toga Party in the during Hurricane Juliet. So if you do want to see it, you can do so there. As always, I will say these these first nine seasons are not available publicly anywhere to my knowledge yet. Hopefully, still praying that soon enough they will be on Paramount Plus. But the Toga Party. So Hurricane Juliet shuts down. There's no electricity. There's no running water. Everyone's getting a little stir crazy. They don't know what to do. There's this weird scrabble game amongst the guys. The women are all trying to get some water to come out, just a drip of water out of the shower. They're smelling each other, laughing and going crazy about how bad the hygiene is getting on day two or three of this. And they all decide, you know, what would be the best thing to do. I believe it is Norm who comes up with the original idea of let's turn this place into a club. Let's grab, you know, all the curtains, the bed sheets. Let's have a toga party to end all toga parties. Everyone does so. The only people that don't take part, Chadwick and Holly, the married couple, decide it's not necessarily for them. And then Blue, I believe at least, pops in a time or two, but she has having to take care of her child in that time. So the three of them don't really partake, but everyone else of the 28, so 25 total, plus Mark and Eric. So we got a 27-person toga party that's off the chains. Everyone's dressed up. They have an impromptu. It doesn't count as a daily challenge, but it truly should have. They had a, a full-on you know, best toga, best costume challenge where every single pair got up on a table and was a five-second long statue, then judged by Eric, Mark, and a conglomerate of others. Sharon ends up getting the win. Her prize is Mike the Miz, who he and Coral were the bouncers of the party that had to okay your outfit before you were allowed in. The bouncer, Mike, is the prize for Sharon. He get, uh, he performs a very hilarious lap dance, I guess is what you want to call it, but really a uh, kind of a, a bit of a, a mockery of a lap dance, if you will, a comical version of one. And there's a VIP room that Coral's in charge of. Coral, very famously one of my favorite moments of her and of the season and of the challenge in history, again, is shared on the Instagram page as she's holding a little cigarette in her... Uh, in her mouth, in her clipboard, in her hand, marking people, telling who can go where, who can do what, walks over to a candle and lights the cigarette off of a candle while it's just hanging in her mouth. It's just badass and just everything's great about it. All kinds of wild stuff. Who knows what goes down in the VIP room, but they go crazy. They have a wild party all night long, and it is just, it's iconic, truly iconic. I use that word too much, but this one, it really fits the bill. That's what it is. It is the second uh, moment to ever be moved, not just into it wins the best moment of the season, but it has moved into the official bracket that we will build of best moments in challenge history right next to playing basketball versus Kobe Bryant and Reggie Miller back in season two. Those are officially the first two moments uh, that are in the bracket that will eventually be I don't know how many will qualify, but after all is said and done, after we've recapped all 37 seasons, we will decide what is truly the most iconic, the greatest moment of all time in challenge history because 
the official challenge page did that a few months back, and I was rather disappointed with what they chose. So we'll be doing our own version, and this will be a heavy contender, probably a top seed in that bracket. So that's your best moment of the season. The best athletic accomplishment, a new award here, but now that the the game of the challenge is getting slowly but surely will evolve over the years to turn it even more into you know an athletic event a sport even if you will I do want to shout out the you know the best athletic accomplishment of the season four nominees here in order chronologically episode six we have kelly who dominates the vertical limit daily challenge where they had to climb it's a rope climb straight up into the air at night which was kind of cool that they did it and along that rope there were little circular like buoys every you know couple feet and to help you both help you climb and also keep track of how high you climbed and everyone you climb past you get a point for or your partner pair gets a point for and Kelly gets higher than everyone else male or female on the cast by 30 or 40 percent I believe she got 22 I believe balls into the air all the way 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 super high up this rope and the next closest was I think Dio got like 18 and another guy maybe got 16 or 17 so she just crushes not only the other women but the men and to such a level that even though her partner doesn't do all that great they still win the whole thing going away that it was was just a dominating performance by far then we had holly b ladder of doom the eighth episode in the final daily challenge before they got where they went from four down to three teams left in the final three teams on each side she has the fastest time, uh, fastest female time and second fastest overall time. And it's her and her partner, Theo, both are way, way faster than every single other person. And they have to go reverse down a kind of wobbly ladder like a, that you would see at, you know, like a fair or circus or something down 50 feet, grab a uh, grab a flag back up 50 feet time the whole time. And they just absolutely smoke everyone. So that one from Holly B. 10th episode, Sean. The episode we referenced earlier where he wins a car is a daily challenge called Rush Hour. It is essentially a slider puzzle, but instead of a puzzle in front of you, it's played with actual cars in a small square where you have to move a car a little bit here, a little bit there, forward, backward, forward, backward, and there's like 10 cars. You're trying to get one out of the thing, so it's a big slider puzzle, but with physical cars. So you're constantly, you get out of one car, you run, hop in another one, move it a little bit, get out, run, hop in another one, all the while figuring out this complicated puzzle. And Sean is running around, sliding across rooftops, sprinting from one to the other, absolutely crushing it. And they, he and Elka win the contest. Uh, they get the puzzle exactly right. They never make an incorrect move, which adds to their speed. But that performance was one of the best of the season for sure. And then the final one is uh, arguably the most important one is the Miz in the final. We said earlier, real world team, they're way behind. In the physical part, there's a little relay race, a kayak, uh, a swim and another swim or paddle on a surfboard and the real world team's way behind but then they get to the beach and there is a puzzle and it is a classic puzzle where you get you they use fish in this one but there's five you know st- sticks on the ground you stack all five fish from smallest to biggest or biggest to smallest on the first pole and then you have to move one fish at a time to get all of them stacked again largest to smallest on the final pole it's a classic game a classic uh, puzzle that is used a lot of times in the challenge and outside the challenge and other shows as well and the road rules team is stuck 
they are totally flummoxed by it. Real world walks up. They all say, hey, everyone step back. Just think about it for a second. And the Miz immediately is like, I got it. This, 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 this. And he just rain mans them right through it. Ends up winning them the entire thing in the $300,000. So while that is the most impactful, I don't think it was the best athletic accomplishment. It was very, very impressive. And hats off to him for winning his whole team, all that money. But I have to give it to Kelly for dominating the vertical limit challenge. It was by far the most dominant any physical performance of the season. So the first ever winner of this award, we've never given this award before. So Kelly hats off to you and you will get to see Kelly back on your television screens very soon here as a member of real world, new Orleans, that homecoming season drops this week, uh, depending if you're listening to this podcast, the week it drops. So she's the best athletic accomplishment moving into then the best daily challenge right off of that. The best daily challenge. There's three nominees, but only one only one can win, but also was ever going to win. Two nom- runner-up nominees, Rush Hour, which is the slide, car slider puzzle that we just talked about. Sean winning. It was very fun. It's also a, very, a pretty close race in the end. It's the first ever puzzle, really, in challenge history. It still involves a physical element, which is the best kind of puzzles when it's a mixture of both. But it is a full-blown puzzle that has to be figured out, and the team that figures out the puzzle more so than how fast they can move the cars was the team that ended up winning. So... Because of that kind of the legacy it would kick off, that is a nominee. The second one, hands on Saturn, is when we've referenced a few times they had to sit with their hands and then eventually hands and feet on an ice sculpture and just hold them there as long as they could. Last one standing wins. Every hour you go from one hand to two hand to a foot to both feet. Timmy peeing and then having to sit in it. The end of it, Dan and Tara win, and when they're running to get their new, brand new cars, Dan just falls and spills his margarita everywhere. It all leads to the eventual Miz breakdown and that two-episode arc. So that that daily challenge has to be represented. But the best one is in episode twelve, Sidekick Showdown. I've called it the newlywed game multiple times on this podcast, but. Mark and Eric's performance as the host of a true game show, a newlywed style show is hilarious. The questions asked and the answers given are very comical and fun. All 12 participants have a great time with it. There's only one kind of moment where someone gets a little upset about a question and an answer, but they eventually get over it. There's a good apology. It's a full circle moment. The sidekick showdown newlywed game, the seed of trivia in the world of the challenge. That is the best daily challenge of the season. And then finally, the best episode of the season as well has to be awarded. And this one, while special shout out to episodes 11 and 12, who feature both the two daily challenges we just referenced, Hands on Saturn and Sidekick Showdown, as well as the two-episode arc of Miz kind of breaking down, Coral bringing him back, their friendship blossoming. Um, all, so much amazing stuff, highly rated episodes there, and, and the best two-episode run of the season, the little two-episode arc, but... The best episode of the season can't be anyone other than episode two, Hurricane Juliet, because of the toga party that we've already talked about, one of the greatest moments in challenge history. If that if that is the bulk of your episode is one of the greatest moments in the challenge history, guess what? It's going to be the best episode of the season, and it is here. So episode two, Hurricane Juliet, that is the best episode of this fifth season battle of the seasons. Finally, the biggest award of them all. We've got to name an MVP of the season, someone joining the ranks of the Dan Renzies and the Cynthia Roberts of the world and previous MVP winners. Our fifth MVP possible up for grabs here in this season. We had said said with last season that we thought last the season four race was a particularly great one, but 
this season's MVP race is an all-timer of just multiple people deserving to be called the MVP of this season. Uh, a lot of amazing performances, and it's I, it's it's going to be hard for me to th- imagine another season where it feels like so many people are deserving of possibly being called or at least being mentioned, being put on the ballot, making top five. So. With this season, we'll, with three honorable mentions, or four, kind of four honorable mentions, and then a top three. The honorable mentions, Sean, first and foremost, is the best. Uh, they score the best on the real-world side. He's kind of the team leader of real-world at all times. Plus, he is the one that implements the entire uh, money-splitting strategy, both with those eliminated and with the other team in the end. And we get a lot of great story with him and calling back home to Rachel and everything about that. So, Sean, definitely highly present on this season. A great, great season from him. Honorable mention for sure. Then, Interestingly enough, we have to say Mark and Eric as hosts, <laughs> Mark Long, Eric Nice, they're so good and they're so committed to the bid every single time and they're so funny and charming and wonderful every single time. And they're also, they kind of, this is maybe the best hosting gig anyone's ever had on the challenge, just specific season because they live in, I think they're in a different like room or different villa, but like they're hanging out at the same resort at all times with them. During the hurricane, they're right there front center. They're in the toga party with everyone else. They're hanging out, having dinner and eating and drinking and everything with everyone pretty much seemingly every day. So they're kind of a part of the cast that just gets to stay the whole time and is the host instead of competing. Uh, a little different than you know what the hosting gig would become. So the two of them add a ton to the season have to be mentioned as legitimate MVP candidates during the season. And then the final honorable mention is Holly B for just being the kind of dominant uh, female athlete of the season. Her and Chadwick early on, the whole storyline with the two of them is kind of played out via her more or less than anything because Chadwick eventually gets eliminated. She then is very instrumental in her and Theo are front and center at all times during the season as being one of the dominant teams. And their relationship is interesting and cool to watch grow and how they help each other. And uh, yeah, just very, very involved and very awesome dominant season from her. So got to be mentioned as well. But then our top three, kind of top four, top three, though, that finish out the ballot. Third place, uh, second runner up, I believe, if you will, for the MVP of the season is a joint bid from The Miz and Coral as a team, as friends, as partners. There's no real separating them in this season. They are kind of inseparable as far as their contributions um, to the season. Everything one does, the other is a part of, and vice versa. And so, you know, maybe uh, that's they're splitting some votes. They're doing the classic. There's two amazing people of this two-person team. They kind of split the votes. They don't, you know, one doesn't shine brighter than the other. And so for that reason, they come in third on the ballot as a joint bid. Second place, then, it's got to be my guy, Theo Vaughn. Theo crushes it on the competition side, crushes it on the the confessional side of things. If we have to give the the second annual Dan Renzi award for the best for the confessional king or queen of the season, I would probably have to give it to Theo in a slight edge over who I am going to call the MVP of the season and mostly because they both are so tightly going for the MVP that it feels like in the NFL they often like if you win the MVP we'll we'll give someone else the offensive player of the year because we want to award both of you for this so the Dan Renzi award for 
confessional king or queen of the season will give to Theo for all the many contributions and jokes he gives there. He's just he's just full of hilarious things and charm and performs super well and is, you know, the the highest scoring team all season long. He's the team leader of de facto of even though he doesn't always want to be necessarily of road rules. Incredible season from him. But slightly, just by a couple votes, a few people, more people had him number two versus number one than they did have this person number one instead of number two. And that is your MVP of Battle of the Seasons, Timmy Beggy. Timmy, the first ballot challenge Hall of Famer, absolute legend. This is uh, his his magnum opus. This is his un- this season. He's just so unbelievable. Quite literally, his success rate of every single time he's on the screen being something interesting, something funny, something enjoyable, entertaining. Just start to finish every single moment. He understands more, maybe more than anyone else on this season, um, that they are making a television show and that he is there to make good television and to be entertaining and funny and interesting and charming and all this, that, and the other. And even just the sly little moments of, oh, it's Mike's birthday. I bet, you know, I don't really want to stay up. I was trying to go to bed, but, you know, if that's going to be a thing, then I'm going to be there and I'm going to do something funny or memorable in it. I'm going to right at midnight say, cheers, happy birthday. Now I'm going to bed. Here's a handshake. That's all you get. So little ways of just knowing we're making a television show. Let's make it the best product it can be. Timmy, and not to mention, performs really well. They win the final two daily challenges. Their team doesn't get the win in the end, but they win a bunch of cool stuff throughout the season, and he and Emily perform super well. He had the quote of the year with all of the many uh, descriptions of his symptoms from Montezuma's Revenge. The whole thing. Timmy Baggy, hats off to you. You join. You are the fifth member of the MVP club of the challenge, taking it home, a deserving title indeed. And with that, it leads us into our final, final thing to do here on this podcast. We've talked through all the great moments, the great quotes, the storylines, the evolutions, the cast members, everything possible about this season. And now we have to give it its final grade. We have to put it in the pantheon, put it up on the list, compare it to all the others, slot it in where it goes in the history of this show. So let's give it its grade now, same as we've done for every other season. I basically come up with four subgrades for the female cast, the male cast, the sport side of the show, and the show side of the show. Four grades that kind of all add up to not an exact average of sorts, but are guidelines for what is the overall grade of the season. So let's run through those subcategories first. For the female cast, we're giving it a B, which is it's uh, a very, very good score. Again, my grading system, I will not go through all of it again, but I am a harsh grader. A B grade is a very, very good grade indeed, and I am just pulling up on the fly here so that I can remember if this is the... Eh, it's not quite the best female cast ever. It it may be if you just go person by person, but that's only because we get 16 people here versus, you know, there was two on the first season of uh, the show and then three and then six. And so... One of the best female casts ever uh, in the early days of the show and one of the best big cast of females ever. Obviously, you had Coral really leading the way on this. Um, and then as well, shout-outs to Tara, Emily, and Holly B, all very solid performances and memorable characters on this season of the show of folks that made it all the way to the end. But this grade could have been even higher, could have been even better than it already was, but we needed the... Veronica, Beth, 
Lindsay, Sharon, Holly S, Holly Shand, aka the original Sarah Rice, as I've come after this season and her former season to to call her and Piggy. That's a bunch of names. Veronica, Beth, Lindsay, Sharon, Holly, Piggy, that are all very memorable characters on the challenge. Very memorable challenge runs in one way or the other that we just didn't get very much of in this season because they were eliminated so quickly and we got down again by episode eight. We got down to our final 12 people from that 32. If we had more time with some of these folks, maybe this grades even higher, but the female cast gets a B. On the male cast side, a full-blown A. This is one of the better casts I can ever remember. Um, in, In large part, similar to the female side, amazing cast from the start, but in contrast to the female side, the kind of the best of the best, the cream of the crop, if you will, was the ones that made it to the final 12. And so you had Timmy and Theo and Miz and Sean, and then also Dan as well. All memorable challenge uh, competitors had amazing seasons here, had other amazing challenge moments outside of this season and on their regular, you know, their real world road rule seasons and whatnot. So them making it to the end and being there the entire season long really, really boost this score. You really only had with respect to all the other people that were eliminated yes and john going home the first episode that's that was a bummer but those are the only real like "Mm, we just lost some real star power there and otherwise with respect to those that were eliminated we kind of kept the biggest stars around on the male side and then you also throw in that i kind of count mark long and eric niece in the male cast side of this on the hosting side because again they were such more than hosts, they were kind of just always there, always present this season. So the male cast, it's a full-blown A. The sport grade, show versus sport, two pillars of the challenge, the sport side of things. We're going to give a B-, minus, which is a little is, is a little lower than the previous two seasons, but there, this was the season that kind of, it's still solid. Anything in the B range is still good, above average in the good category. Again, C's are very average, didn't move it along, but didn't move it backwards at all. B's really good. Anything in the A is like truly great. It takes a lot to be in the A category, such as five absolute killers uh, in the male cast, making it all the way through the season and two great hosts to boost that male cast to an A. So the sports side, a B minus the season where they're kind of figuring some things out. As we talked about, they had the seeds for trivia were planted. Puzzles were finally brought into the fold. Um, and they managed to get through having a hurricane and having to, I think probably clearly make up a couple challenges on the fly to get them back to actually doing the show while they were working on getting like their beach back access back and things like that. So there were a lot of good seeds planted, but it was, it was good, you know, B minus, but it wasn't anything rising above that. And then on the show side of things, we're going to give it a full on B. It ebbed and flowed. It was really good. There were some iconic, great moments. We talked about all of them, most notably, obviously, the toga party again, we will say. There were other really, really high highs, but there were also some kind of lulls in the season where it was like, uh, what are we going to talk about for an episode or two? I guess we'll go back to, you know, they're still talking about splitting money or, you know, doing this, that. There's only the one real romance, and it was kind of short-lived or not a whole lot to it, a couple scenes. And so the show side, really high highs, but also kind of had some waning moments over the course of 15 seasons. So that averages out to a B. So overall, female cast B, male cast A, sport grade B minus, show grade B, bringing us to an overall grade of a B, a full solid B, no minus, no plus, just a B 
which at this point would put it as the second best season out of the first five with Challenge 2000 in their B-plus being the best to date still. But a really, really good season that is going to really, you know, it's going to end up, I don't know where it'll end up on the final list when we put all 37 up together, but it's a strong B. I really thought about the B-plus here, and so... We'll see, you know, amongst any other seasons that grade out to a B, this might be, you know, on the higher end of within the, you know, the category of B itself. So that's where it is. That's where it is for all time in the Challenge Museum, the Challenge Historian Museum, that one day will be a real physical thing. Maybe, hopefully, maybe I will actually do that someday. But if there ever is, that's where it is. The Annals of History this season is a B, the second best of the first five. And that is that for the battle of the seasons. And that is that for this podcast. Thank you so much for being here and listening today. Again, I know these these episodes in these first seasons are not publicly available. So if you want to at least relive them more so than just listening to me relive them on this podcast, go over to the Challenge Historian on Instagram. They are saved as highlights. You're going to see dozens and dozens of clips, literally four or five clips per episode, basically the whole thing uh, with my commentary added in. So Thankfully, these seasons are old enough that it doesn't seem Instagram or Paramount or whoever is trying to take them down or anything. You can watch them all there at Challenge Historian. Hit the follow button there. Hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss another episode. As we said at the top, next week, we're coming to you with two seasons, season six, Battle of the Sexes, and season seven, The Gauntlet, which may very well be my favorite season of all time, so I'm going to be real fired up for that one. Those will be coming next week. Until then... Uh, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Definitely keep up to date with all the news. There's a bunch of news out in the challenge world coming every single week now. So we're probably going to have to start our uh, our weekly kind of little challenge news mini pod on Tuesday recap coming real, real soon. Real World Homecoming, New Orleans. That drops this week. If you're a fan of the real world, check that out. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week when we break down season six and seven. Until then, peace. <laughs>